Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 153 of Yogaland. Today, my guest is Kwame Sams. Kwame and I met just recently. He is involved in Jason's advanced teacher training in San Francisco, and he came up and he introduced himself and pitched himself for the show. And I said, yeah, let me think about it. And I talked to Jason about it, and and here we are. So Kwame currently lives and teaches yoga in the Bay Area, and he's also a dancer. He grew up in the Bronx, and I wanted to hear his story of being a person of color and walking into a yoga room and what that was like. And you might be surprised. But we do talk about representation, the importance of representation within the yoga community. We talk about what it feels like to be a misfit. And we also talk about stepping into the seat of a teacher and how overwhelming or daunting that can be at first. And I offer my thoughts on how to deal with that. So I really genuinely enjoyed the interview. I love talking to up-and-coming, talented, thoughtful, heartfelt people, and Kwame is definitely one of them. Well, Kwame, thank you so much for being here today. I'm, I'm so happy to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better. Thanks for having me, Andrea. I want to kind of jump into just talking about you and, and your story. And one of the things that you said that kind of stood out for me from our last conversation is I was, I think I was asking you if you felt like yoga studios weren't inclusive enough and you said the experience is different for everyone, but that you were familiar with being the guy that was different. And I just thought we could kind of start there. I wanted to ask you, what does that mean for you? Like, could you unpack that a little bit in terms of growing up and how did you feel different? Well, even as a child, I don't know, I felt like the term like misfit just fit me perfectly in a sense where every interest that I had was slightly different from what my friends was doing. But I also had this natural interest to just do something different than everybody else. Yeah, growing up, I was like very much into skateboarding and rock music and alternative and heavy metal and I would always be around again my culture my people and that would just be the thing that we'd listen to different music or I'm out skateboarding and worrying about arts and things like that and that was just something that already started just that that separateness for me Mm -hmm. but I also couldn't deny the fact that like I grew up in a black culture where you know I was in projects and I would hear rap music and dealt with hip-hop very, very closely. Like, I was born and raised in the Bronx, which is like the birthplace of hip-hop, which I feel like it has a really, really special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. It was always that contrast of, like, you know, be, me being around, like, my black friends and then being, like, you're, you're the white kid and such and such like that. And then me going around, like, most of my white friends, which were the people that I kind of resonated with, but also understanding my culture and what my background was and understanding that there were things that we just didn't connect on. So it was just... You do that thing. I don't know. I was always like in the middle of this world's world. And it was just something that just kept me on my own path. And I just embraced that at a really young age. And it was also I had a rebellious nature of just like everybody's doing that thing. I don't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot that played into it, but it was a lot of just me deciding what felt right to me and understanding that I'm just a unique person and embracing that as much as I could. Took a long time. 
It's great that you've gotten there. I think it's, I think it's a battle for most people actually is just like accepting yourself and seeing yourself and not trying to change yourself. There's this nerdy little expression that I want to share with you that made me think of it. Your story made me think of it, which is I was an American studies major in college and a big focus of mine was just early 20th century immigration. Like that's when my family came over. So I was like keenly interested in that time. So the idea at that time was you were supposed to assimilate everything, right? Like you weren't supposed to keep your language or your clothes or the smell of your foods, all of those things. And so the little phrase is they felt betwixt and between, like the people who coming over just felt like they weren't in their homeland anymore, but they weren't part of the new culture either. And I just think that's such a good way of thinking of like where you haven't quite landed, landed yet. In between, betwixt, I didn't even know that was like a, a word. But yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about with your family? That Was that hard for them that you, you know, didn't fit neatly into a box? Especially my family and just culture. We have no problem like speaking up about things. So uh-huh. it was just like a, a joke or just something that they just threw at me a whole lot. Like I was the white boy of the family. Like that was just the thing. Uh-huh. And it was just like a nerd in their eyes or just like he's different you know just that that even though I related to everything and I was always involved in a lot and it was never like I was like lacking as far as like the culture and knowledge it was just like you do that different thing and it was just a highlight you know Mm -hmm. and then you started dancing pretty young too did you find kind of more of a place there with dancing and dance friends and stuff like that I really did and I think uh dance came to me at a a point in my life where I was already going through like so much as far as personal issues and family and upbringing, upbringing. So dance to me was an outlet for me to express myself in a way where I can connect to so many people who, who were slightly different. I feel like every dancer in their own nature has a really distinct personality and just being able to dance the way that I was, it just connected me to people who, who at least opened this little crack or window to understanding that, like, even though there's differences, there's a lot that we can connect to because we see things in a different way. Mm, that's really cool. I think that's actually in some ways a little bit more evolved than what happens in the yoga community about connection, which is I think sometimes, well, there's just this tendency to want to connect because we all believe exactly the same thing you know? And that sounds more like the arts, right? Where it's, like you said, uniqueness is celebrated mm-hmm. and being different is is celebrated. So you told me when we talked last time, you said you, do, have you always danced crump or diff- different kinds of dance? I mean, it was a style. So in New York, there's a, a really big style around the time that I was growing up. It was starting to pop off. It was like, uh, it's called light beat, which is actually influenced by an old jazz swing dance back in the day. And it became something really popular in the Bronx and it kind of like spread over New York. That was like my entry to like mm. what it was. Yeah. And then from that, I started to meet people who are like very serious into like choreography and competition and commercial dance and things like that. So when I do anything, I feel like I want to at least challenge myself enough to, to see how good I can be, somewhat be the best version of myself. And it was like the end was the light feet. And then eventually that transitioned to me learning like hip hop and choreography and joining a lot of dance companies. And then that turned into auditions and me doing a lot of solo things on my own. And then eventually it landed me to get to Crump. And Crump was 
at least in my opinion, like a full circle because it reminded me of what street dance was and how pure and what the essence was of just being able to express yourself coming from a really rugged or at least street environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember you asked me, like, do you know what it is? And I was like, yeah, as if like, of course I do. But the reason I know what it is, I got off the phone, I was laughing. Like, it is kind of funny that like this middle-aged white lady knows what it is, but because I haven't heard of Lightbeep, but I know what it is because there was a documentary like 10 years ago. I can't remember what it was called. I wonder if you've seen it. I'll have to look it up. But it kind of talked about like the history of it, you know, and because it's from South Central, right? The, the documentary I think you're referring to is called Rise. Oh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Rise. And I mean, that's a, a really big introduction to how Crump was created and how it derived from a dance style called clowning. Yes. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Back to you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, Crump was just, in that movie, it just displayed how Crump separated itself from that expression of clown dance. And mm -hmm. we took on this more rugged, more expressive style of what the dance was and just created our own lane with that. And yeah, that's carried over. That was around... Maybe 2000-ish. It's it's pretty old now. Yeah, right? it's pretty old. I, I want to say it was like 15, yeah, maybe 15 years old, something like that. Well, you know, Jason's not much of a dancer. The joke in our family is that he does the Celt Celtic tango. <laughs> because he's like, like, him dancing is, I mean, first of all, the only time I've ever seen him really sincerely dance was at our wedding. And that was really sweet because he was just so happy. Like, he was just so happy he actually just danced with me but other than that I mean he is it is hilarious to watch him or anyone in his family try to I can't believe I'm busting his chops right now but no it's it's show some moves <laughs> oh my god I don't know I don't know if there's any hope and my daughter we laugh because my daughter has inherited like his exact body type and then she kind of she dances like him too like she just has no rhythm like she just can't hear the beat of anything and she kind of just like flings herself around like bashes into walls and like <laughs> she falls down and sometimes he looks at her and he looks at me and he's like yeah she got my dance talent <laughs> like, oh my god because you know I was a dancer growing up like I anyway oh it's funny so um okay so the thing that I remember about Crump and that movie and kind of what you're talking about is like it's a very physical it's really beautiful but it's like a very intense physical form of dance and it's like also very well, it's like expressing emotion in like a very intense way. So how did you go from being a dancer to getting into yoga? Like how did that's like quite a bridge of styles. Yeah. So every day, usually before our dance practice, when I was a part of one big dance company around like maybe 16, 17, I would always lead stretching. And for some reason, I probably enjoyed that 30 minutes to an hour way more than the practice. It was just like me understanding what the benefit of stretching every day could do and how flexible it was and how I can use that in my dance. It was just like, I want to be flexible. Aside from that, I remember me telling you the story of me having, I would call it like a really, really early quarter life crisis where <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out like what I wanted to do with my life. And I think I came across a, a video where even to this day, I think they say it's like a fake theory, but Warren Buffett had a meeting with one of his either assistants or something on his on his plane. And his assistant asked him, how can he be successful 
And in this interview or the question, the way Warren Buffett answered was, you're really distracted. And in order to do that, you got to like limit yourself to something that really means something to you. So he asked his assistant to write 20 20 things down. And out of those 20 things is just hobbies or interests or goals, things that you really want to do. And after you write them down, circle five things that mean a lot to you. And when he circled the five, he was like, okay, so the other 15 on that list is like your avoid at all cost list. And the five that you circled are the things you need to pay attention to. So I practiced that. And out of my five, it was spirituality, entrepreneurship, music, movement, and philosophy. That was my five. Wow. Well, you, you made it, you manifested that. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> And I just had a moment where I just wanted to take it a step further. And I was like, instead of me like trying to do all these things individually, like what can I do that has all these things in common? And yoga was like the thing, you know? So it was just a leap of faith, which is how I do everything in my life. It was like, I'm going to be a yoga teacher. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it happen. This, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go all in, you know? And I went to, I think uh, Google search, I was how to become a yoga teacher. That's how I figured everything out as a kid, YouTube or Google how to such and such and found a YouTube video. And the biggest thing that they were talking about were in order to be a, a yoga teacher, you have to do a teacher training. And I figured out the process of a 200 hour and how that led to like 300 hour. And eventually I went on Google, looked up 200 hours in New York City where I can find some yoga. And I came across two that I really like. One was really cheaper than the other one, so I chose the cheaper one because that's what I can afford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was uh, working at Home Depot at the time, and what I did was just save my money from every single check that I had, and I think it was like one yeah income tax season. I got like a really large lump sum back, and I just threw all of my money into a yoga teacher training. Nice. And then the first day was my first day ever in a yoga studio. My first day ever doing the practice, my first day ever like being introduced to yoga was my first day of teacher training. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Did you enjoy the practice on that first day? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, at the first day, we really didn't practice too much, but it was like a really big meeting and gathering and orientation to explain what the, the program would be like. And what I really enjoyed was the fact that I was in a room of it was about 60 people at the time, maybe 70. We had one of the largest teacher training groups in this company in New York at the time. And just to be surrounded by so many different people and colors and ages and orientations. And it was just like, okay, this is a melting pot of uniqueness that I get to explore for the next 10 weeks. And that opened my eyes to possibilities. Yeah, that sounds, it's so beautiful. I mean, I've always felt that way going into yoga spaces and like when you go into any kind of teacher training space, even if it's just like a weekend workshop, I don't know. I always have this feeling of like, oh, yay, everyone's here to just totally nerd out like me. <laughs> you know, It's like we're all here for the same reason. Like we want to be in our bodies and move our bodies, but we also want to think about things and like have an internal experience too. I want to go back for just a, just a moment to your list. And, you know, the spirituality was right at the top. And I feel like it's just not that common for people who are not of a specific religious faith to feel comfortable, like, owning their spirituality or 
saying they want to be spiritual, it's almost like sometimes it gets almost like a hippie bad rap, you know, or like a new agey bad rap. So how did you know that at that young age? Um, was it something in the way that you were raised or? Again, me being raised is such a unique story. I feel like we'll, we might get into that, but I always sensed that there was a higher power. I just believed it. And I mean, as much as what I've been through in my life to, for me to still be doing what I'm doing and to be guided by something and still to be as good as I am, I feel like it's, it has to be a reason aside from like the people I'm around and what I'm doing. It's like something is guiding me, you know? And when I was younger, my mom was really, really big Christian. And that was predominant on my mom's side of the family. But my dad also was Islam in a way, and he would preach something totally different, but I knew it was something in the realm of like what a higher power was. So it was that conflict of Christian versus this Islamic view and me not really knowing what's the truth because at least from the Christian side of it, it was just like, nah, this is it. This is what's real. Like, this is the truth. And if you don't do it, Christ will punish you and like things like that. And then like Islamic view of like the possibility or, or just, it, it was just a different perspective. So it was just like, was it more mystical? A lot more mystical. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I feel like it wasn't, I, I didn't lean too much towards any side, but I knew that in order for me to make sense of it, I had to make my own definition of what it was. Mm-hmm. And it was a long, long journey of me just understanding that like it, it doesn't really need a name doesn't really need a figure it's just something that you connect to and one of my favorite books so what I think really really summed it up for me was The Alchemist mm-hmm. where he just explained that it's the universe he's like it's everywhere it's everything and it's a guy it's a force and you, it's, it's already written and there's a path that we follow that's already predetermined for us and me sitting with that thought, especially with what I was going through at a young age, it just gave me a sense of hope mm-hmm. that was working for me. That's my connection to it. And that's how I started the journey and pieced it together. And then yoga kind of, you know, gave it a lot of definition for me. So, so let's talk about that. So you started your teacher training, you started doing asana practice, obviously, like at that point, you already had an embodiment practice, you already had, you know, your dance background, by the way, Jason says your, your backbends are gorgeous. (laughs) Just a little aside. So did you feel like within that teacher training, learning the, the philosophy and the foundational parts of the teachings, did it like resonate with you right away? Yeah, I feel, well, especially in the teacher training program that I was in, there was like a brief overview of what it was, but what really connected me and allowed me to stay with the practice was the connection to mindfulness. And I don't know about anybody else, but my brain is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Allowing myself to sit and watch and to understand the difference of, you know, interacting or at least connecting to these thoughts and really identifying with them and learning how to 
see or at least be the experience and understand that we're somewhat separate, like we're watching rather than you know experiencing this thing. So once I was able to step back, I started to understand that like there's a lot that is happening that we don't control, that we just experience pretty much, you know? Mm -hmm. And that kind of gave me my own personal connection to what the experience is, or at least what we're all here on this earth doing. And once I started to attach that to teachings of Patanjali or even the Buddhist, I I feel like I I lean a little more towards a Buddhist practice with the sitting and made the connection for me. Yeah. Yeah. Developing that sense of the witness is so freeing because you can kind of go like, all right, mind, like you can do whatever you want. Doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily listen to you. You know, like you can just go crazy or you can keep talking, thinking about the same thing over and over again, because that's what you do. But like, there's this whole other space between what the mind is doing and how we, you know, have a choice of whether or not to respond to it. And you don't even try, like it just happens. And it's just like, you can sit there and watch a thousand movies and it'll keep playing with no stop. You know? right. So it's me learning that, I, again, I didn't have to identify and just learning how to take that little separate piece gave me my own personal experience of what it means to be a witness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you're about like two or so years into your teaching and you you had this whole journey where you moved from the Bronx to Staten Island. Then you moved out to L.A. thinking you were go- going to pursue dance as a career, right? And it just sort of like it seemed like yoga presented itself as a as a path to be able to teach. Are and you still dancing at all? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, good. The the yang to my yin. I mean, Crump is really expressive, and a lot of people, even when I when I share it with them, they're like, "Well, I, I wouldn't expect." And it's like, I mean, I, that's what I was doing first, and this is the thing that kind of calmed me down, calmed that down. So I feel like I would be out of balance if I didn't have my yin and yang. Yeah. So I have to keep up with that. Yeah, you know, I noticed with Jason, like he grew up playing ice hockey, like since he was a little boy. And he was really good. He and his brother were both really good. He was able to get out his anger that way and like work, just work through a lot of things. And so when he started doing yoga, he stopped doing any kind of competitive sports and any kind of really intense, like like you said, like yang kind of physical yeah. physical stuff. And he started in the past three years doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and which is like a beaut it's actually really beautiful beautiful um form but it is more competitive and it's just like the the physicality of it is just more intense and he is so much more balanced than he was like three years ago like I see for him that those two elements really they work well together so I'm a really it makes me really happy to hear that you're still dancing because that pent-up energy you know and like especially when we're in this practice where we're learning how to release. It's, it's a different type of release when you can do it in a way where, I don't know, I, I wouldn't use aggression as a word, but there's just something a little more strengthening or stronger about like having to release it through this different outlet. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's not necessarily aggression, but it is like... A really strong passion, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Where are you teaching right now? So I'm currently teaching out of Flying Studios out in Oakland. Cool. And it sounds like for you, you grew up in New York, you went, you did your teacher training in New York where there's like a big group of diverse group of people, you know, because one of the things I wanted to initially talk to you about is 
I just, I think more and more we're feeling like there's a lack of a rep- representation of people of color in the yoga community. And I even, you know, I do hear stories of people feeling like yoga studios are just so white and like, so that there's like a feeling of you have to be thin you have to be white and you have to be this and you have to be that to like, f- otherwise you sort of feel excluded and strong and yeah. like, and yeah, that's just not what it was represented to me as. Yeah. But. Yeah. Which I'm really happy to hear. And obviously it's something like we all still need to talk about and think about and how can we make it more like the experience that you had. But you did say that when you started teaching, people started to come up to you and say like, I'm so glad you're here because I relate to you. And, and that that feeling maybe was a little surprising for yeah. you. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? To this day, like there's a lot of people that I can name, but I just leave them unnamed that like, who, who just mentioned to me that me taking your class, uh, it changed my life or me seeing you here opened up so much for me and it allowed me to come back. Or I've never seen someone like you here or a person of color here until you got here and things like that. And it mm-hmm. was just really interesting to me because I've always, like I said, I've been a person that was just kind of separate from the rest. So my personal experience has always been like, I'm worried about myself. I know I might be slightly different from everybody, but I'm okay with that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as me being somewhat of a symbol, or at least somewhat of a, I guess with the representation, it making a difference, it was surprising to me because I didn't look at it like that. When I stepped into this world, it was just the idea of, all right, this is what it is. I'm stepping into it. I have to learn about everything that this world entails. But for someone to feel like, oh, I've been doing this practice for 10 years or five years and I have not seen you or a person like you here. And now that I do see it, it's so comforting. It was mm. just really surprising just because I would have never thought. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very new into this practice and I'm very, very new into my career and journey. So it was just eye opening for it to be so apparent. And it wasn't until people started to walk up to me and mention these things to me that I started to look around and to notice that like. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) You're like, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Shoot. This is not good. (laughs) So I've I've always been a person of just like, I hate that phrase of like, I don't see color where it's like, you you can't not, you know, it's really, really apparent in every space that we're in. Yeah. I would say I never judge color Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I people enough to know that somewhat of it is my fault, like our fault. And some of it is kind of like the yoga world's fault. And I don't think that you can fully pass any blame on anybody and say, like, it was designed to be this way. I feel like there's like that personal view of a black person being like, I'm not going to do that bendy thing. Or even to this day, like, Kwame, you twisting your body and doing that yoga thing. Like, a lot of my friends don't really get it. But like, they get inspired by it because I, I, I show them something or at least I can speak to something versus, you know, the yoga world just naturally having this space where, you know, a white person can go and experience this yoga and feel comfortable because that's very, like, I feel like it's, it's more of an explorative nature in that world mm-hmm. versus like the defensive nature of a black person being like, hey, I'm not going to do that thing. So that somewhat plays a part in it, but also the added layer of, you know, when a black person does decide to do this thing, they are surrounded or they are the minority in the room. And for that to be a thing that's, added layer to the uncomfortability is just like right you don't already like we, we don't already do this thing 
but then we're going to try to do this thing. But also when we're trying to do this thing, we have this immense pressure of like being the odd one out, you know? So yeah, I think it's just a whole bunch of layers of a lot of personal insecurity or trauma. And, and it just, it doesn't help on both sides, you know? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it is. No, I think that's like a really elegant way of talking about it. And I think this conversation about representation, I feel like has really come to the fore in the past, I don't know, five to seven years. And I started yoga so long ago. And like, I think I said to you last time we spoke, I, I'm more like you. Like when I first started yoga, like I just needed help. I just needed, I needed something to calm down my nervous system. I needed somewhere that I felt like I could be myself. And so it was not social for me at all. So I would just like sneak into a yoga studio, not talk to anyone and sneak out. You know, that was like sort of my early, I never thought of it as a place to like meet people or socialize. And now I'm much more like that. I'm in a happier place in my life. But I guess when when the conversation started, I was like, oh, people feel excluded. Oh, shoot. Like I never even, I just am so in, like you said, like I'm so in my own world, but it's important to not always be in our own world. Like it's important still to think about, okay, how do you make people feel like they're not the odd one out in that kind of space. Like you want a yoga space to feel like anybody can be there and, and it's okay. So I think it's just a big question that like we all need to keep talking about. Especially from the angles that we come from, it's so much of a individual practice that it's really easy to just focus on yourself. Yeah. But to also know that on the opposite end of the individual practice, it's a, it's a connection practice where we're all one. We're all, share something and we're trying to really find that divine essence of what connects us all and it's it's interesting to again come out of your shell out of just being solely focused on you and to open yourself to what the other possibilities are and to really see what the experiences of the next person is and how to relate you know so there's a thing yeah no it's huge and i mean just think if we can do a better job of it in our yoga spaces then we can take that out into the world in a really positive way, which is what we need, right? Yeah, was that key. Okay, so you were at first surprised when people came up to you and said this. How does it feel for you internally to take on that mantle of being like one of the, yeah, one of the few black male yoga teachers in the country? As much as uh, that sentiment of like the one of the few I wouldn't even know if that's 100% true because there's a lot of people that I come across as far as social media goes that are either really, really dope, cool practitioners Mm -hmm. or not sure if they're even instructors, but like they represent what it means to be a black yogi. And I think just collective, like it's there, it's out there. But as far as us being in the spaces where it might create a bigger wave or at least a bigger sense of representation, that might be rare. Mm Mm-hmm. What kind of spaces? Do you mean like kind of the the broader media spaces or? Yeah, broader media spaces, or at least like, I feel like, especially for me, when I wanted to see that representation, I had to look for it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I can just go to a space and it's there. It was just like, I move this thing around, move this thing around. Oh, here it goes. That's kind <laughs> of, you know. Right. That's the issue, or at least that's what it was for me. Mm-hmm. So taking on the mantle, I mean, even to this day, like I had spoken to a friend not too long ago and she was just like, I just want to remind you that like you have a a really big purpose. Like your purpose is not just about you. Like your purpose is really bigger than you. And what you represent 
affects everybody around you, but you might not think how far that reach uh, extends. You know, it's really, really big. And hearing that from her, it was, whoa, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's a little overwhelming, but important that she said it. Good that she said it. But I really appreciated it. And I know I, I've accepted that in really, really small doses for a long time. But for me to truly get to a space right now where I'm like, okay, this is the start of something really big for me. And I want to pursue it. I always felt like I was destined to do something that was really grand. And I always wanted to leave my mark on this world and give people some type of hope or inspiration or just to create a change and and create happiness. And it's crazy how yoga was my lane and outlet to do that. But it's something that I want to take on. But initially, it was was overwhelming. It was just like, whoa, this is a task. This is really big. And I mean, now that I'm stepping into those shoes, and I'm understanding that, like, I have a community that supports me and people who want that. And I'm not obligated to do it. But I feel very, very, I wouldn't say obligated, I would say I have to do it. Like, Mm. I is a, a connection to what this path means to me. And it's kind of like that saying, like, you, you have to find that thing to live for. And I feel like if I did this for the rest of my life, I wouldn't be angry. I wouldn't be upset. I wouldn't feel like I get tired. It's just like I, I can wake up every day and do what I'm doing if it means something to a bunch of people that feel like they need that connection. Mm-hmm. You have a calling. Right. Which easy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's great. It's great. You know, it's, it's it's great that you found it. Can I offer like a little tiny nugget of advice, which I know that you know this, but sometimes it's helpful to hear other people say it. In in your thinking about what your friend said to you and like you said that's that feels huge, right? Just keep sharing yourself and like your true story. I mean, the longer I am on this earth, the more I feel how all of our stories really converge. And we just need to keep telling them and hearing them. And that's how we help each other. And that's how, I don't know, that's what helps us love each other. And it's what helps us, like, it's what helps make the world go around. So you being able to, like, understand your story, process it, keep healing from it in the ways that you need to heal from it, keep growing and sharing that is is going to be the most powerful thing I think that you can do. And thank you for that. Just. Again, I think right before we got on this, at least in the email yesterday, I was like, I'm an open book and I've never felt like I needed to close myself off or hide anything, which it's a gift and a curse. It's gotten me into trouble, but it's also (laughs) a lot of good things. But I just feel like, I know, I know who I am. I know my truth and I know what my journey means to me. And I'm just, I'm really open to it, you know? Yeah. Let's wrap up by talking about, you just started Actually, was this your second module in Jason's 300-hour training or your first? The first one. Okay. I thought so. Yeah, I didn't think I met you last time. So, yeah, you just started doing the advanced training with Jason. And I wanted to ask you how you decided to to do that training, both like embark on an advanced training and then also how did, how did, you, how did you decide to pick Jason? I'm just really, really passionate about learning. And I feel like if I ever got to a point in my life where I just couldn't learn or I couldn't grow, I'd really be miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially after getting out of my 200 hour, I, I just didn't feel like that was enough. But I also felt like, I mean, I'm in this process where I have to continuously share and to continuously grow and better myself. And in order for me to keep fresh or stay really, really interested in my teaching, I have to keep 
learning, you know? Mm-hmm. Jason, the decision with Jason was really unique to me. Just when I got to the Bay initially last year, I had taken Jason's class with a friend. And from that experience, at least in that hour and a half, I felt like it was the first class where I just practiced, at least just took a class, but I've walked out with way more information than I did from a lot of teacher trainings, a lot of workshops and just everything that I've experienced before I got there. And I was just like, there is something here, like more than just like coming here and doing asana, like I am learning. Hmm. And I mean, I feel like as teachers, that's what we're doing. You know, it's like, if you go to a class, you you learn from the teacher. And like, if you don't get any information from the classes you take, then what are you doing there? You know? So it was like, it was the first time in a long time that I took a class and I learned something. But um, right after that, gotten really busy in my own practice and in career. I was managing a few studios and I was just looking for a way to to do to do an advanced training. And when I was in my search of looking for my five hundred hour, it was not too much of again a, a, of a connection or a person that really looked like me. Like there was no black teacher in my experience that was giving advanced trainings. There was no male teachers that was giving no advanced trainings besides Jason that I was really close to. Hmm. And it was just like if anything, if I had to do something, or at least if I had to learn some, from somebody, I wanted to be to, as closest to me as possible. And like, I can easily find a yoga training from a female or, you know, that archetype and pursue it. But I was just like, if anything, it would benefit benefit me the most to learn from another male who has been doing this at like, at Jason's like level, it was just like, it, it was a no brainer. Like, so it was already a thought process. And then I had a friend from New York who also did the teacher training that I did. And he was just like, look, man, if you don't like do any other training in this world, like you got to do Jason Crandall's training. It was just so nice. (laughs) It was just confirmation from so many different angles. And it was okay. This, this is obviously a sign again from the universe of just like, pay attention to this. Like you move from New York city, you're in the Bay. You have access to this person who is right here, which is kind of like in your backyard. And like, everybody or everything is pointing you in this direction. And it was just like, it was a no brainer at the time where I was just like, I'm going to do it. I don't really know how. And again, scrambling up money, taking the leap the way I always do. It was just like, boom, I'm going to make it happen. And I got enough money to pay for just one module. And I was like, if this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to start here and see how everything else unfolds. So yeah. And how was the experience for you? Did it, did it live up to what you hoped? Yes, honestly. <laughs> Putting you on the spot here in front of, you know, 20,000 people. <laughs> now I'm playing. <laughs> I mean, I think I had like a little clip even on like Jason's like Instagram of just like him being able to take something so, so damn complex and to turn it into something that's so digestible for me was just so amazing. Me personally, anatomy was something that I'm not going to say I was, I was the biggest fan of, but it wasn't something that like easily came to me, you know, and philosophy and spirituality and being able to speak like that was so easy for me. But now to be able to, I mean, I have a really, really big interest in muscles and mm. bones, and I did the, the module on core in the spine, which is like the center of the body, which I feel like if, if there's a way to start, like starting at the middle, mm. it kind of gave me the most information and I really have a genuine interest of just like learning what bodies do. And it was already a thing to me to just understand how complex and beautiful we are as humans, but to have his perspective and to be able to relate it to yoga and have such a down to earth, like connection to it, it was like, 
thank you. You know, like he really shed light on something that was so dark for me for a long time. And I can't thank him enough. I can't thank you enough. I just feel like I can, like I'm excited for next year if I can make it happen to continue to keep it going. But like just a little two week process of what we've been through in a hundred hours is just like that. I feel like I can take that and move on for like maybe the next four or five years if I didn't get anything else. So it was just, you know, it was so information. That's great. That's great. I know what you mean. Like if it's the right inspiration, you can take that inspiration and use it for a long time. I feel similarly. And then the group, did you like the group? Your group, Jason loves, I mean, he loves all the groups, everybody yeah. listening, but, but seriously, he's like, this is like the easiest. There's just, they get along so well. Honestly, I didn't think to make as many friends as I did and to connect with so many people as I did, which was funny. It was like, um, the first day or so, even before I went into the training, I was like, because I feel like I'm an introvert by nature, even though I feel like there's a lot of people who may argue that, but I feel like I'm an introvert and I definitely can find peace within myself and, and cut everything off. But I told myself, like, I'm just going to do this training. I don't need to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> information, you know, like that's what it was going into the space. So the first day I was to my mat studying, writing things down, getting all the information and I think I was next to, no, the first group exercise that he asked for, where we got into small groups for the first time. I think the first thing I said was like, all right, yeah, I'm just, I'm a natural introvert, you know? So, you know, like this is not difficult, but this is just different for me, but I'm happy that we can come together in a small group. And everybody in my small group is like, yeah, I'm an introvert too. Like, oh, wow. just, yeah, you know, and like, as much as we were introverted, we found that connection of what that thing was that 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 meant a lot to us. Like yeah. we like and, and we we connected in, to things in a different way. And it was just like, oh, you're like me. And yeah. That, yeah. I think it was like a, a big group of introverts who felt extroverted <laughs> in the <a> space. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not surprising at all. Like Jason is the biggest introvert on the planet. I mean, he is the biggest introvert on the planet. He really just he just needs like one friend, and I am it. <laughs> Quality over quantity. Yeah. Every- so. It- why I, I connected him so much in that. I think I spoke to him about that too. And like for everybody in that room to kind of have that same relation, I felt like that was the thing that connected us all. We like, we know that this is the thing that's going to make us speak up and share so much. But then like when it's break time, it's like, all right, y'all, you know, like we're going to, you know, move away or at least. You- yeah. I think introverts, if you're as, like, as long as you're connecting about something you actually care about, it's great. One-on-one talking about things that, are meaningful and that I care about. It's like, it's when you have to do the chitter chatter. That's just Small torture. Oh. <laughs> oh, <such a laughs> right. Just like that. Yes. Uh, all the joke. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Kwame. I was just thinking when you were talking about your group, I come in to the teacher training modules at least once this time. I think this past time I only came in once because I was running my own meditation course, but I came in to do the, the live podcast and it's so sweet to meet everyone and just to see everybody's faces. And I'm so, so happy that you came up and said hi to me. And like the minute you came up to me, I was like, oh, he's super warm. I want to talk to him. (laughs) So yeah, I just appreciate that, that you came up and said hi, and it's so nice to talk to you. Oh, and actually, where can people find you on the internet? Instagram right now, at I3. So that's spelled out, E-Y-E, period, T-H-R-E-E. Kind of like the third eyes, my connection to everything. Got it. Okay. 
I'm really big on Instagram more than anything. I'm trying to be really social in other forms of media, but that's pretty much where the jam is right now. Yeah, just stick to to what you like. Yeah. Also want to add in that I am very, very grateful for you and this podcast and everything that you do and what you do in the work to put this together. It's like, as much as you say, like, I want to talk to him and he's warm, I... I, I felt like after you came in, I could not leave without just hugging you and saying Aww. thank you. It's <laughs> this podcast and Jason, it's like what you do in the little bit of, you know, content that you pull together to create this for people and everybody who's listening, it 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 goes beyond what you might think it does. It's just like anytime where I feel like I'm in a rut or I'm in a hole or I feel stuck, like let me just listen to Jason and Andrea. They got they got the answers, you know? <laughs> and you know, even before I got into the training, it was a guide in so many ways. So please don't stop. Oh, that's please awesome. Don't. Thank you. That that means so much. Thanks. All right. Well, let's wrap up this little love fest. Thanks, Kwame. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. You can find show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 153. And if you enjoy the podcast, as always, five-star reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts is super helpful or wherever you listen to your podcasts or sharing it on social media is helpful too. It's always nice for me to see which episodes resonate with people. So thanks so much for listening. Until next week, enjoy your practice.